Hello, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and today I'm sharing with you another sneak peek into the inner circle. That's right. I have this group of professionals from all over North America. There's over 50 of them right now as we're recording this. And these professionals help each other grow, and they help each other grow in three ways. The first way is we share our knowledge. Each week I do a presentation with this group, and the group itself shares best practices with one another. So we share our knowledge. The second way we help each other grow is by expanding our capacity. So if you're a CPA and you're in Miami, Florida, and you want to work with people in Los Angeles, you can form a joint venture with a CPA in Los Angeles, and you can share the workload and work together if you'd like. If you're an attorney in New York City and you want to work with people in Dallas, Texas, you can form a strategic alliance and take cases that are in Dallas, Texas, and You'll have an office there. You'll have people in Dallas that can work on these things for you. So the second way we help each other grow is by expanding capacity. And the third way we help each other grow is by passing referrals. Now, this isn't a referral group per se, but because we trust each other, because the people in the group trust one another, they refer business back and forth with great frequency. We've referred over $10 million in new business in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, and we're referring a lot of business in 2021. We've already referred probably about half of the total amount of business that we referred in all of 2020 in the first three months of 2021. So I encourage you to reach out to me to join my inner circle. Now, we don't just take anybody. We only take one person per industry, per profession, per geography. So we take one CPA from Miami, Florida. We take one CPA from Los Angeles, California. We take one CPA from San Diego, California. We take one CPA from Boston, Massachusetts. We take one CPA from Bangor, Maine. So we take one attorney from Miami, Florida. We take one attorney from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We take one attorney from Dallas, Texas, one attorney from Houston, Texas, one attorney from El Paso, Texas. We only take one attorney per geography. We only take one CPA per geography. We only take one financial advisor per geography, one banker per geography. So if you're a professional and you want to join, you got to reach out to me. And if you're qualified and if there's a spot open, I will consider you for membership. So go to joindavelorenzo.com. That's joindavelorenzo.com. Click on one of the links. Fill out the information there. Submit your application fee. And if the spot you're looking for is already full, we won't charge you. There won't be any application fee to pay because you won't be able to become a member. If the spot's not full, we'll offer you the opportunity to join. That's the pitch. That's all there is to it. Now, here's a sneak peek. This is your inside view into an inner circle business development community meeting. In fact, this is one of the very first meetings we ever had. I want you to sit back and listen today as I teach these folks how to develop a marketing message. Now, the information that I'm going to share with the group is right at the outset of the pandemic. It's right when the COVID-19 pandemic started. So I'm sharing information with them They're worried, they're concerned that their business is going to change forever, and I'm helping them get through this. So join me as I teach my inner circle business development community how to develop a marketing message, and we're doing it on this episode of 
the Inside BS Show. So today's topic is marketing message, how to connect and motivate an audience to act. Uh, as I said, before we get into that, I wanted to uh, comment on uh, some of the things that are going on in current events. I spend a lot of my day talking to professionals. Uh, the bulk of those professionals are lawyers. One of the things that I can say with some certainty and this is going to disappoint some of our members who are relying on in-person meetings. I, you're not going to see in-person meetings for the next three years as, as far as group meetings. There may be small you know, conferences or mediations and that type of thing where it's two or three people in a room. But 10 people, 15 people or more, I don't think reasonable people are going to gather in groups of over 10 to 15 people for the next 18 to 24 months. I think even when there is a vaccine, I think you're going to see those meetings are, will be suspended. And a couple of the reasons why, first and foremost, people are learning to do business without getting together in groups. And I'll, I'll have more on this as it relates to associations and networking groups and, um, you know, chamber of commerce, that sort of thing. But candidly, in-person meetings are going to be risky for a large segment of the population for at least the next two years, even if there is a vaccine. Once a vaccine is developed and it's distributed, we don't know how long the immunity is going to last. We don't know what the efficacy of the vaccine is going to be. Um, people are still going to be hesitant. It's going to be a while. Uh, risk is only going to be accepted when necessary. So, you know, examples are court, therapy, mediations, and even mediations these days are done, being done on Zoom. Uh, limited worship scenarios. I'll tell you that I don't think the elderly are going to return to houses of worship for a while because it's just too risky. Travel, it, I think you're going to find that travel is going to revert to what it was two, three generations ago, where it's going to be so expensive that you're going to find that travel becomes a luxury because I don't know how the major airlines are going to stay in existence. I don't know that uh, people are going to want to sit in, a, in an environment where there's a middle seat. I know I don't want to. So your mission is going to be to find the opportunity in this transition. So what does that mean? Where is the opportunity? Well, the opportunity exists to offer services in a way that makes people comfortable. So when we talk about association meetings or we talk about networking groups, I know a, a lot of you who are watching the video replay, a lot of you who are with me live are members of networking groups. Those networking groups, it's going to be difficult for them to exist moving forward. I'm going to be very candid with you. Associations, I don't know how associations are going to stay in business unless they pivot to a different model. Networking groups can go online. Um, and I'm looking to take advantage of this by developing this group and offering you the opportunity to participate in this group. This business model, the business model that I've created here, is working. And that is evidence 
uh, by the growth that we've had. I'm doing my best to connect members here in a matchmaking scenario where I think people will be able to refer business back and forth. I'm also providing a significant amount of educational content to help you grow your business and I'm staying on the cutting edge of what's happening. You need to be able to do this same sort of thing in your business and you need to be able to grow your business without in-person networking moving forward. When we first started having these sessions, March, the week of March 13th, um, we all thought this was temporary. This is the way people are gonna network from now on. And we need, to, we need to accept that. And for you and your networking opportunities, you need, to be, you need to scrutinize any one of these that you attend and make sure you're getting maximum value. Distance events are going to be the way things happen. I'm working with several real estate attorneys in different jurisdictions and they're doing closings now with nobody getting in the room, especially in places where they used to have to all be together. Document review in real time is taking place on, uh, on Zoom or Microsoft Teams. Distance events are the new norm. Uh, I hate that term, but it is what it is. I've participated in several speaking events. I have one tonight where I'm speaking to a group on Zoom and People enjoy these events more because the event ends and they walk into their kitchen in three steps. I want you to really focus on how you can adjust your business. And I want you to leverage the time that we spend together to, for us to help adjust your business to anything you can do without having to be face to face with people. Because it's going to be, if you wanted to get back to where we were in February, you're probably talking about three years at the outset, maybe five at the outside, okay? So if you're a litigator, your skills as a negotiator are going to be even more important than they ever were because you're not going to want to be in a court scenario. You're not going to want that exposure. Your client's probably not going to want that exposure in sitting next to you. Now, court scenarios are manageable and most jurisdictions are going to be reasonable and keep it safe. But if you prioritize negotiation, you can do 90% of the negotiation work in a very safe distance way that will make your client comfortable and, and keep you comfortable and productive. Strategic alliance partnerships are going to be critical because you need to expand your reach and you're not going to be able to go places in person. So if you wanted to expand your reach to another city, forming a strategic alliance partnership where you perhaps co-counsel with someone in another city or you have someone in another city who will be able to do the work behind the scenes and quote unquote white label it for you. These types of things are, they take on even more value in a distance scenario because you're going to be so, it's not going to be possible for you to jump on a plane and travel there. Well, it'll be possible, but you won't want the virus exposure to you and your family from doing that. People are going to place a premium on direct and honest communication like never before. All right, so this has little to do with the pandemic except for the fact that the pandemic has exacerbated the cavalcade 
of lies and the the price that people pay as a result of the lies that are perpetrated on the American public by their elected officials, particularly by the President of the United States. What has happened is there's 70% of the American population these days, and I would contend probably a good portion of the worldwide population, but 70% of the American population has fatigue because we are now forced to analyze and fact check everything that we see coming out of the government, coming out of institutions, coming out of people who are in positions of authority. You're going to find that people will place a premium on direct and honest communication like they never have before. There will be little tolerance for puffery, for exaggeration. Your oath of candor to the court has, is going to take on a new prominence because people will expect that that oath extends to everything you do. So in your business development activity, candid, honest conversation is going to be rewarded. I'm seeing it now, but I think it's going to take on a huge prominence. In fact, that's probably redundant. It's going to take on prominence when the election and this election cycle is over. People are fatigued. They're tired of the crap. They just want someone to tell them the straight truth. I'm in a place right now. Siegel is with me. Klitzner is here with me. Uh, Carmen Hires is here with me. Neil is here where we don't get the truth from the president of the United States related to the virus. We're not getting the truth from our governor. We have to question everything. And it is causing an enormous amount of strain on people's daily lives. And if you don't think that the average person is feeling this, just go to a supermarket and have a conversation with some of the people who are stocking the shelves if you live in Florida. Those folks are literally on the front lines of this and they don't know what to think. They don't know how to act. They don't know whether they're safe or not. And it's because they don't know what to believe. So we have the opportunity in addition to making people comfortable from a distance perspective, to also make people comfortable from a direct and honest communication perspective. Now, I know all of you who are on live with me personally, I know all of you, and I know that you're honest people. None of you has uh, a BS bone in your bodies, so that's good. What I'm telling you is you need to take that to the next level. And all of us, myself included, need to cut out any sense of exaggeration because people are not going to, there's not going to be a tolerance for it. And people will refreshingly reward you when you put a premium on honest, direct communication, telling people the bad news in a way that helps them understand it and absorb it 
right up front. That's the opportunity that I see, and you're going to hear a lot more about this from me in the upcoming weeks because I think I, I, I'm, I'm seeing it. I, I, ha I have my finger on the pulse of this, and I'm really seeing people who are at their breaking point because of the stress of having to discern this information, particularly this, um, particularly this, the, the latest issue with schools and the fact that you know people seem to be running headlong into opening schools when parents don't feel safe. So I'm, I'm going to tell you that when you when you start messing with the truth when it comes to people's families their children and their well-being, that's not well tolerated. And, and people don't have the ability to compartmentalize and segregate when it's something that personal. You're going to find that if they trust you, they will trust you in a big way if you're honest. If you make one mistake with the truth, you're going to have a huge problem moving forward. All right. So uh, that's my uh, happy-go-lucky uh, you know, messaging for today and the opportunity that I see in front of us. Let's talk about messaging in general and why it's so important. Messaging strategy is critically important because that's how you motivate people to act, okay? It's also how you educate people and initiate new relationships. And it's critical for converting suspects into prospects, prospects into clients. This is how you deepen relationships with people. So what we're going to talk about today is really, it's not even scratching the surface. It's a high level overview of what audience messaging is all about. I'm going to take each of these segments of the presentation today, and I'm going to go into them on a deeper basis when we cover them in their own individual sessions like this. Style is as important as substance when it comes to messaging. Uh, one of the things we need to realize is that the content that we put out should be receiver-based. In other words, I want you to develop the messaging that you create based on how the people in your audience are going to react to it. I don't want you sharing a message that's convenient for you. So take, for example, every law firm website that, uh, that you've ever seen, especially big law firms or you know, medium-sized law firms that are run by uh, more senior people. Every law firm website says, you know, 180 years of combined experience, right? That's not receiver-based content. The people who are coming to the website want to know what happens when you get served with a subpoena right? They want to know answers to specific questions. They don't care that, you know, the three of you have 60 years of, uh, of experience and that's your 180 years, right? The content, the, the messaging content needs to be appealing to both the eye and the ear of the receiver. So if you create the most accurate factual content in the world and it's full of facts that are footnoted, nobody's going to read it because it's not appealing to them. Your content has to please the eye. It has to be visually appealing. It has to be timely, right? If you're writing today about what it, you know, about 
how beautiful uh, you know, a trip to the Cayman Islands is, that's not timely right now. Nobody's getting on a plane and going to the Cayman Islands because they're afraid of getting a deadly virus. So your content also has to be timely given what's going on in the, in the world or in the mind of the audience. It has to be relevant to the audience. I write these days specifically for lawyers because my focus is on attracting more lawyers. I have non-lawyers on my email list, but I took all my copy in the last couple of months and I'm refocusing just on lawyers because those people are going to be the backbone of the inner circle community. I work with all professionals. In fact, I work with some businesses that aren't lawyers or CPAs or other professionals. But I'm targeting my email specifically at lawyers because I want the, the audience to have the content that's relevant to them. Your messaging also has to be helpful. You are a professional service provider. So informational messaging, entertainment-based uh, messaging is good and it can be a nice break in your regular content, but content that's helpful for them, content that they can sink their teeth into is gonna be what they keep coming back for. Sharing the reason why the thing that you're talking about today is important is one of the pillars of our style of communication, okay? I find that people, the uninitiated will often wonder why you're telling them something, so you have to tell them the reason why. For example, the reason why I'm sharing this primer on messaging with you today is because everything we do from a business development standpoint involves matching a message to an audience. And we've covered audience selection already, so now, I want you to have the basics of messaging. So here's your formula. You may have seen this other places before. Uh, direct response copywriters will often teach this to their people. It's AIDA, A-I-D-A. Attention, interest, differentiation, and action. This is an overly simplified formula for how you write or how you create your content. I'm gonna break each of these down for you. First is your is attention. When you wanna grab people's attention, your headline is probably 85% of the work. In an email, the subject line does 85% of the work. When I send out my emails, if I'm lazy, my subject line is not eye-grabbing. Now there are, in my audience, there's probably 5% of the people that are gonna open any email that I send. But there's probably another 20% of the folks will open an, an email with a great headline. So I'll tell you a great subject line, I apologize. In email, the headline is the subject line. So I'll tell you that it's more important for you to spend time thinking about and doing research on the subject line or if you're writing an article on the headline than it is on anything else, okay? Your first paragraph, which in print settings is called the nut graph, that nut graph, that first paragraph is your promise for this communication. That first paragraph is what you're going to deliver. 
if you don't structure the first paragraph with some sort of a promise for what's going to be in the article or in the email, you're going to lose people. You also have to tell people within the first couple of paragraphs what problem you're going to solve for them. Your goal is going to be to help them achieve something. What are you going to help them achieve? What goal are they looking to accomplish? And the goal may just be to get through this week. And again, your email, your, your article must be timely and it must be relevant. I use language that resonates with lawyers. So you'll notice when I write email to lawyers, I use business development instead of sales. Sometimes I use the term sales because I want to tweak you guys and I want to, I want to help you understand that your, your law firm is a business. But more often than not, I talk about origination or business development rather than sales. I talk about your book of business. I don't talk about the customers you have. I talk about the clients you have. I keep the content relevant to you because you're my audience. How do we develop interest? Well, providing educational content is a great way to develop interest. You can give them the five things to do this or the 10 things to do that, 10 ways to do that, and people are going to read it. People are going to be really interested because they want to be educated, especially if it's a topic that's timely and relevant. Stories are a fantastic way to capture people's interest. Uh, you saw me before I stumbled and bumbled with the uh, um, with the screen sharing today, you saw me uh, give a hello to Nile. Nile is fantastic at telling stories in his emails. So those of you who want to get on Nile's email list, in the chat, put your name and your email address, and Nile will put you on his email list. His his stories are some of the best that I've seen in my clients' work. So I want you guys to. Um, I want you guys to really benefit from that. So uh, drop your email into the, into the chat box and I'll copy and paste them and send them to, um, I'll, I'll copy and paste them and send them over to Neele so he can add you guys to his list. Stories are so important because they suck people in. They get them to suspend uh, their disbelief. And, I, and giving people real life solutions is important too. When you combine the stories with the real life solutions into a case study, you're gonna find that you really can do a lot of good with people because people will put themselves in the place of the subject of the case study. And when you share your real life solution, they will feel like you can help them in the same way. The outcome of the work that you're highlighting in your communication needs to have at least one of these three elements. And we've talked about this in the past. You have to help people make money. You have to help people save money. Or you have to help people reduce their risk. If you're helping people make money, if you're helping them save money, or if you're helping them reduce their risk, if you're helping them do all three, you're going to get hired. People are going to be interested in what you have to say. If you've got one of the three and it's compelling, you've got a good shot of being engaged. And then finally, which should be the first thing, you have to talk about what they want and then transition to what they need. So 
I, you know, my kids uh, are probably like all kids who are younger. They absolutely hate vegetables. Uh, two nights ago, we fought over broccoli. Last night, we fought over asparagus. And my 12-year-old now, I convince him to eat them because what he wants is he wants the, uh, the benefits of a good diet. He wants better performance uh, in the ring when he, uh, when he does martial arts. He wants better performance when he runs. So I talk to him a lot about the, the value and the importance of a good diet. And he doesn't like eating broccoli. He doesn't like eating asparagus. He doesn't like eating Brussels sprouts. But he knows what he wants, and that's a bridge to get him there. And so we talk about what he wants, and then we transition to what he needs to do. He needs to eat his vegetables because he wants the benefits of a healthy diet. And that's a, that's a really good example for how we have to message to our clients. Oftentimes, your clients are not going to want to do what you advise them to do. So you're going to have to get them to want what you're offering uh, and when they want it, you can help them with what they really need. I work with a lot of family law attorneys, particularly at Doug Kay's firm. And one of the things I talk about with the family law attorneys all the time is their clients need to come through that family law process with their mental, emotional, and uh, psychological, and financial uh, state intact. And the family law attorney is the person who's safeguarding all of that. So the people in the people they represent, the people the family law attorney represents, often don't want to suck it up and have to have to deal with a compromise that gives them less money than they were hoping for. But the family law attorney explaining to them that it will take a year less and their psychological issues will be mitigated by settling with this compromise is what they really need. So in your communication to your audience, you lead with what they want and then make a transition to what they need. Because if you come out and talk about how a family law client has to immediately compromise, you're never gonna get hired. People are never going to, if you're a family law attorney, people are never going to want that. If you're a personal injury attorney and you talk to your client at the outset about how, you know, everybody tells them that they have a $5 million case, but they're probably going to end up settling for $1.2 million, they're not going to be happy at the outset. But when you talk about what they want, listen, you're going to get justice for what what's happened to you and the financial compensation will be far greater than you know than you uh you know than you would have received if you had worked 10 years talking about what they want and then going through the process with them and tr showing them how that process is long and the value of that money over time would be less transitioning to what they need eventually settling for less than the 5 million dollars is a good message in a one-on-one -on -one setting. The same thing is true in marketing material if you're looking to be persuasive. You want to talk about what people want, that opens the door, and then you transition to what they need. And of course, all of you know that the facts are there 
to support the emotional connection you make with the client. It's critically important for you to engage your audience emotionally. Let's talk about differentiation. I want you to appear different than everyone else. The last bullet point there, you should be in a category of one. People should not be able to compare you with everybody else who does what you do. So you have to find a way to position yourself as unique. Now, when you differentiate yourself, you've got to come up with something that's not easily replicable. And you want your audience to aspire to be either like you or to have what you have or to attain a goal that you've helped deliver for other people. You can differentiate yourself in a number of ways and that's by going to extremes, by being provocative and by being contrary to some of the things that are popular opinion uh, among the people who are in your audience group. Becoming a category of one is critically important. There are a number of ways to do that, and we have a whole session on that coming up. The easiest way is to focus your marketing on a specific audience group. So you see me communicating with you as uh, professionals, even more so you see me communicating with you as lawyers. I've done several um, speaking engagements, I've tailored several articles, and I've focused several marketing messages on specific practice groups in the practice of law. And the reason that I do that is because it's much easier for me to differentiate myself when I narrow the audience down and I communicate with them on the same level. When I talk with trust and estates attorneys, about asset protection events and how they can help them grow their business rapidly, and then I give them examples, I've immediately made myself different from everyone else who does what I do, because what does everybody else do? Everybody else talks about pay-per-click advertising and how pay-per-click advertising can work for anyone from a dog trainer to a trust and estates attorney. I don't say that. I say to the trust and estates attorney, Nobody wants to address their mortality, Mr. Trust and Estates Attorney. So what we need to do to open the door for you is we have to talk about asset protection and why asset protection is critical for anyone who owns a business or is in a professional practice or people who have assets that are in their name. That starts a conversation that will lead to an entire estate planning program. What have I done? I have created a rapport with that audience of trust and estates attorneys now that is not easy to replicate by another marketing expert because other marketing experts who work with attorneys, they're one trick ponies. They know how to do one thing really well. They didn't take the time to get into the mind of the audience and speak to them as if they were a member of that audience group themselves. You have the ability to do this with your clients. And great examples of this come to us on a week-in, week-out basis from Steve Klitzner. We've heard examples of this from Steve Siegel with, in healthcare. We've heard examples of this from Neil Rose, who targets litigators, who targets trial lawyers for their appellate work and litigation support. All of those folks have shown us how they communicate with their audience 
as if they're a category of one on the same plane as them. And that's critically important. Let's talk about the call to action. The call to action in your marketing message or in your even in your weekly email is what we're all in it for. There's got to be a payoff. So what do you want the audience to do right now? And you've got to spell it out. Don't leave it to chance. Your readers are smart, most of them, but they still are going to be left wondering what to do at the end of the article. You have to tell them why they need to do it. It's so important that they know why they should act now. What if they don't act? What happens if they don't take the action you're prescribing? And you've got to paint it in the darkest of scenarios as long as that scenario has, a, has some probability of happening. If it's happened to someone else, sharing that case study, even if you have to blind it, is important because that's what you're protecting them from. You want people to have a fear of missing out if they don't act. Now, even if the action isn't to call you or to come in for a consultation, they should feel like if they don't do what you're saying, they're going to miss out on something. So these days, I'm seeing a lot of people who are in the health and wellness industry, the fitness industry, or excuse me, the supplement industry. They're using the pandemic as a way to encourage people to be more active, encourage people to eat better, encourage people to partake in their advice because they have the fear of missing out on, well, good health. I mean, obesity is one of the comorbidities of, uh, of the current, you know, COVID-19. So if you, if you have a fear of missing out on the rest of your life, you're going to be pretty motivated. And that leads us to the next point. I am going to take a sip of water here. Fear of loss is more of a motivator than a desire to win. <clears throat> the first time I heard this was in listening to an interview with Bill Parcells, the legendary Giants coach, uh, Patriots coach, and, you know, a uh, one-point Jets coach. Um, he often would say that he had more of a fear of losing than he did a desire to win. Winning to him was always fleeting, but that fear of dr that dread that came with the fear of loss was always hanging over his head. And that's the way most people feel. So when you're creating your communication, you have to make sure that you tap into that fear of losing or even the fear of missing out rather than the desire to win. Because people won't be motivated as much to win as they will to avoid a crucial and embarrassing loss. You got to give them the easy next step. And you see there, I've written fall out of a boat. You want to make it so easy for people to act after they read your message that it's just like them, you know, I'm rocking now back and forth in my chair. It's just like them tipping back and forth in a boat or a canoe. It's very easy to fall out of a canoe. That's how easy it has to be for the person who's reading your message to take the next step. So if you're sending an email, click here, right? I see so many people that they, they say, well, you know, the link is, is blue, people know what to do. No, they don't know what to do. You think they know what to do. You have to put 
click here if you want them to click there. If you want people to call you next to the words, call me, you have to put your phone number every time. Do not put those two words, call me, without a phone number. If you want people to email you, next to the words email me must be your email address. If you want people to visit a website, next to the word visit has to be the website. You have to make it brain dead simple for people to act. And I'm not advocating this because I want you to treat people like they're stupid. I'm advocating this because people pay attention only about half the time. So you've got to make it as easy as falling out of a canoe for people to take the next step. All right, so Steve Siegel asks, <clears throat> how do you do this in an article for general publication? All right, Steve, here it is. Here's the magic, right? An article for general publication, let's say uh, for the Dade County um, Medical Society uh, email that goes out, right? The magic is, for more information on this exact topic, call me, 786-436-1986. For more information on this topic, email Steve Siegel at stevesegel at gmail.com. Um, it's as easy as that. Now, if they're not going to let you put it in the text, and some places won't, most will, if they're not going to let you put that in the text, it's no problem. They're going to give you the opportunity to create what's called a bio box. Steve Siegel is an attorney who's specialized in healthcare for 30 years. Uh, he's board certified and he's worked with five of the top seven healthcare institutions in South Florida, right? That's usually what your bio box says. I want you to shorten the bio to Steve Siegel is a board certified healthcare attorney who's worked in South Florida for 30 years. For more information on this exact topic, and you put the information on the topic in there, email Steve at or call him on and the phone number and the email address go in there. So you can drop it right into the bio box. No matter what publication it is, they're going to welcome you putting that contact info in the bio box. Your next step or your call to action may be a honeypot. And if they don't let you offer the honeypot, the free report in the text of the email, it's no problem. What you can do is offer the honeypot in your bio box, just like I just told you, okay? So that's how you do it in an article for general publication. You can go ahead and put it right in where your bio goes if they don't let you put it right in the text. I've written for a lot of places that told me that I couldn't sell anything in the article and then I make a free offer right in the text of the article and it gets through every time. In fact, my latest book, The 60 Second Sale, I, I pitch a couple of things in there. It got through editorial review without a problem. That'll do it for this edition of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo, and we're here every day with another great show for you. Join us right back here again tomorrow when we give you all the insider business secrets. We take you inside business strategy, and we share ways to cut through all the inside BS that's holding you back. Until tomorrow, I'm Dave Lorenzo, and I'm telling you to go out and make a great living and live a great life. Thanks for joining me.